Turning back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, Gordon read to us verse 12 through 18 a minute ago. Our last message last week was Mother's Day. We're already past Mother's Day this year. And we use that uh, day to talk about Hannah's prayer uh, as she had been driven to prayer by circumstances in her life that weighed heavily on her heart. And she had made a vow to God that if the Lord would give her a child, specifically a man-child, a, a boy, that she would in turn give him back to God. As we explained a little bit, it was customary to uh, give the firstborn back to the Lord and then pay the temple fee and buy the child back in a symbolic way. And yet she said, I'll give him to you for all his life. And he will be a Nazarite, uh, noted in these verses. Now, our text today continues that prayer a little bit and uh, tells us uh, something that happened uh, in the circumstance around her prayer. As a matter of fact, what we see is that Hannah is greatly misunderstood here in what she's doing. And uh, Eli sees that and uh, misunderstands, but uh, to the credit of both of them, we will see that she takes that misunderstanding in a very good way, and he immediately corrects himself and uh, realizes that he had made that mistake. So we'll kind of look at that this morning. What do you do when you're misunderstood? How, how do you respond? Both if you misunderstand someone else and what they're doing and realize you've been wrong, or you've been misunderstood in, uh, in what you're doing. I imagine that we've been on both ends of that, right? Uh, we've been the offended and the offender. <laughs> we've uh, uh, done it both ways. You know, Matthew 18 uh, tells us uh, what the Christian remedy is for such things are, is when we've offended someone because we've misunderstood what they did, or they've offended us. Uh, we get together with that person. Uh, whoever takes the initiative, we uh, respond by going to a brother or sister. And in the love of Christ and in the, the, the mutual forgiveness that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ, we uh, make that right and uh, admit our human uh, fallacies and failures and say, you know, let's start again as brother and sister in Christ. We can do that with... Uh, uh, with brothers and sisters. The world uh, is going to misunderstand the believer. We understand that, don't we? That that's going to be a general thing that happens in this world uh, because the world is the way it is. And we don't have that common appeal with the world uh, to being brothers and sisters in Christ. And so sometimes we are misunderstood by the world or sometimes we're even accused by the world of certain things. So we have to walk very circumspectly. We have to walk carefully in, in this world so that we're not misunderstood. I was thinking, uh, you know, the other day that uh, I was in the grocery store, forget which one it was anyway, you know, there's always an aisle that is packed with liquor and beer and so forth, you know. I, I turn and go the other way. I mean, it, I hope that whatever soft drink or water or whatever I'm looking for isn't in that aisle because I'm not going down it. I, you know, it's just me. It's one of those old-fashioned things where I don't want to be seen coming out of the liquor aisle, I guess, you know. But, uh, the, but I do the same thing with the magazine racks, you know. 
maybe there's something in that rack somewhere that I would enjoy reading, but I'm sure that there are dozens of things I don't want to be uh, reading at all. So I don't want to be misunderstood, you know. The believer's going to be misunderstood at some time in this world. It's just the way it is. If we we're misunderstood with a brother or sister, again, we can go to them. Sometimes uh, we, we also know that we need to be offended. Sometimes people say things to us that we need to hear because we were wrong and we need to be corrected. And that's a whole subject in the Scripture also, not the one that we're dealing with, with here. So I don't want to just make it seem like it's all one way. After all, didn't, didn't your mother say something to you at some time that you needed to hear that you didn't like it? <laughs> uh, and that kind of offended you? Uh, so there are those times and sometimes when you need to say something that needs to be said. Uh, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, Solomon said. And sometimes we need to be wounded that way. I don't know how many times uh, in my ministry as a pastor, as a preacher, uh, either someone has said to me or someone has said to someone who said to me, uh, you know, the preacher was preaching right at me today <laughs> in so many words. And I like to say, yeah, I was. <laughs> Not that I ever think of someone in particular and prepare a sermon for that particular person, but often... You say something that's the truth, and it gets at somebody's conscience, and they may think you're speaking right to them. Well, they need to feel that way if that's the case, right? So sometimes that's just the way things are. We need to, as Paul said, try to live at peace with all men. Well, let's look at what happens here in Hannah's situation with Eli and in your uh, bulletin, I've tried to put enough of an outline just so that you can um, uh, follow uh, along with what I say. So in verses 12 to 14, we have this uh, basic understanding as uh, she's continuing in prayer. And Eli, is, as we've noted before, is there at the temple. He's an old man. He's a heavy set man. And uh, he's found him a, a way to sit on a seat lean against the corner of the, the post or whatever and watch the people come in and out and, and kind of do his duties from that uh, perch. And so as he's sitting there, he's watching Hannah pray. And I note first, uh, and I call it in verse 12, an unusual prayer. Uh, for these reasons, number one, it's unusual in its humility uh, because we see here a continuation from verse 11 where she's saying, If thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, remember me, forget not thine handmaid. Uh, so she's continuing, I, I think, in a, a humble way here uh, and says it came to pass as she continued in this kind of prayer. And so she's, uh, we see it in her humility. We'll see it uh, later on as well. You know, some of the great prayers in the Scripture are, are worded this way, and we see the, the humbleness of it. Remember the, the, the publican and the Pharisee who went to the temple to pray, and we have the contrast between the Pharisee saying, you know, here I am, Lord, uh, look at me, uh, you know, and uh, though Luke records it, he... Uh, uh, went and talked with himself like that because he wasn't talking with God. But the publican, standing far off, would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
And then Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. There's a prayer or, or an expression of, of Jacob's prayer when he wrestled with the angel. And in Hosea chapter 12, verse 3, Hosea is recording it, and he says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. So Hosea says, even the Lord of hosts, therefore turn thou to thy God, keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. And so we're reminded we know these things uh, that... uh, this humility and prayer is a proper thing to do. Also, I, I think Hannah's, we've seen also, uh, it's an unusual prayer because it's a walk by faith. She prays by faith. We know that we should walk by faith, not by sight, but what does that really mean? Let me go back to 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, then a parenthesis. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And then he continues uh, after that. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. In other words, to walk by faith is to know without being there. I often say faith should be more of a noun than a verb. We're not trying to work up enough faith uh, in order for God to hear us. Faith is the belief that God does hear us, the evidence of things not seen, if you will. And here she is praying to God. No one's hearing her but herself. She's praying silently so no one hears her. And she believes in the vow that she has made. No one knows it but her. And so she uh, has this kind of faith. Last night I was reading a biography on C.I. Schofield. Uh, the editor of your Schofield Bible, if you have it, who uh, lived at the end of the 1800s. He actually fought in the Civil War, so he's from, from those days and uh, as a, before he was ever saved. And uh, he became a lawyer and uh, then a district judge and then uh, uh, became a preacher. Well, the story is that his mother died in childbirth, that is, when he was born. And she only lived a short time after he was born, so he never knew his mother personally. But when uh, Cyrus, his first name C.I., Cyrus Ingersoll uh, Schofield, when, when he was born, uh, she prayed a prayer on her deathbed that God would save this child and someday call him to preach into, into his ministry. His father never told C.I. Schofield about his mother's prayer because he didn't want it to affect him to be called into. He didn't want to be called into the ministry because his mother prayed the prayer. But after he went through all of that life, God saved him out of a lostness and out of kind of a drunkenness and, and things that before he was saved, cleaned him up, put him in the ministry, and then his father told him about his mother's prayer. He never knew it all of his life. I think that's a prayer of faith. She didn't need anyone else to hear it. She prayed it on her deathbed, uh, knowing that she would never see it. Uh, but Lord, uh, do this for this child. 
So here's Hannah praying this kind of prayer. Now, I put down, secondly, uh, Eli's angry response, but uh, I should say, because there's a third way that this prayer is unusual, and that third way that it is unusual is that she's praying silently, and he misunderstands it. As a matter of fact, evidently, it was not a very common thing to do. An older writer from almost 200 years ago, William John Dean, said in his commentary these words. He said, such earnest, silent devotion was quite unusual. Spoken prayer was the rule then, as it is now among uncultured people. It needs great faith in the unseen, capital U, to believe that God hears and answers the unuttered aspirations of the worshipers. And then he quotes Jesus, men think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. In other words, it was not, and when you think about it, in Old Testament Israel, silent prayer was not very common because you came to the temple and to the priest with your prayers, and then he interceded for you. We kind of think of silent prayers as very common because we have a high priest that always hears us and knows what we say. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a human man and say things to him. Uh, we can go right to the Lord silently, but it wasn't so much that way in the days of the Old Testament. And in that way, it is an unusual thing. And so here is Eli seeing this prayer, though she's, her lips are moving, but she's, she's silent. He sees that. It's an unusual thing to see. He makes a judgment, and it's a wrong judgment about it. Really kind of unusual when, when you stop and think about it. As a matter of fact, um, uh, you know, the, the, you can see the people of the Old Testament screaming and shouting often. And even, uh, uh, I think I put it down, yeah, in uh, 1 Kings, remember when Elijah, is, 1 Kings 18, Elijah's on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal? And he says, uh, it came to pass at noon that Eli mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he's on a journey or per, per adventure. He sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner uh, with knives and so forth. I mean, that was the common way to do it, scream and cry aloud. So here Hannah is doing it in a very unusual way. Now, also then, secondly, of course, uh, his angry response is that he, he thought she must be drunken. He, she must have been drinking, and now she's uh, muttering to herself because she's kind of incoherent and so forth. The first thing that maybe we ought to notice is, sure, he thinks that, and you know why? Because his own lackness has created such a culture around the temple. If he hadn't let things go the way he had, things like this wouldn't commonly occur, but evidently they did commonly occur around the temple. As a matter of fact, then uh, go to uh, chapter 2 and over to verse 22. Let's read a few verses from there, 22 to 25 of chapter 2. Now, Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. 
Nay, my sons, it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. In other words, uh, God was going to judge them himself. And so what, what was the culture around the Lord's house, around the tabernacle, around where, where prayers should be made and sacrificing should be made? It was a common thing for the priests themselves to be involved with the women around the door of the tabernacle. No doubt they had come many times in drunken stupor to the door of the tabernacle. And so Eli sees it. And he makes a false judgment about uh, a good and proper prayer done by Hannah, and she's misunderstood, and he makes this uh, improper response. It's really kind of sad when, when you come and think about it. So, so folks, uh, we need to be careful because we live in a culture like that too. We live in a culture where the world sees things the way they see them, and you may not be a part of that culture, and I hope you're not. You're not a part of the world that they live in, and yet they can misunderstand you in a very easy way, thinking that you're the same way they are. And that was uh, Eli's mis uh, misunderstanding here. I didn't know whether to tell you this or not, but I'm going to try to say it as easily as I can. You know, as a pastor... Uh, I meet a lot of people in a particular area over the years. So if you pastor in one place, I, I pastored in Fort Collins, Colorado for 18 years. So in 18 years in a small community, you get to know a lot of people. And the same here in Kansas City. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'll, uh, I'll see somebody like in a restaurant and I'll think, I think I know that person. And then I'm thinking to myself, they probably know me. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, that's Pastor Schrader. And so if I don't say something to them, they're kind of offended. And yet, have you ever walked up to somebody and you think you know them and you don't? <laughs> and you, you have that awkward moment? That's happened to me a number of times. Anyway, I was in a store a few years ago now, and there was a sister of a member of our church. A sister. And this was in another church, and, and uh, I'd only met her maybe once, I don't know how often, but I'm, it's a summer day, a hot summer day, and it's one of those home uh, improvement type stores, and this woman's walking toward me down this aisle. Well, I see her, and the first thought is, I think I know who she is. The problem was that she was, how should I say this, not dressed very appropriately, <laughs> a summer day in a store. Well, I don't want to approach somebody I don't know that's not dressed very properly. A strange man comes up to you and says, don't I know you, or something like that. And so immediately you make this you know, type of judgment, I'm just going to turn and go the other way, which is what I did. And I was reminded not long after that, you know, my sister said you saw her in a store and really ignored her altogether. <laughs> And I wanted to say, yeah, and when she learns how to dress, maybe I won't. No, I, I didn't. I just said, I'm sorry. I, you know, that happens to me sometimes. So, you know, sometimes in trying to do the right thing, folks, or respond to something the right way, we're going to be misunderstood. And you, uh, no doubt you 
could tell the same story or, or similar in many different ways. So here's Eli's misunderstanding, uh, and, and he does make it, and he makes it uh, a quick judgment call, and it's wrong. But secondly, we see Hannah's response, okay, in verses 15 and 16. So I, I want you to notice how, how she responds, how, how polite she is, how honoring to the high priest, my Lord, she calls him, which is a proper response. How humble by saying, don't think of thine handmaiden in any other way than this. So she's responding in, in these ways. So in verse 15, Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink but have poured out my soul unto the Lord. So count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. I, we read a minute ago, and it was a wicked woman, but Belial here. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. So you see Hannah's response. And, and first of all, I, I, I say to you, this is, this is a proper response. It's, it's a proper way to respond in times like that. Now, she can respond like this, understand, because she's been through a lot of misunderstandings in her life. One of the great things about facing trials in our life is we learn from those trials, and we can learn how to respond to criticism. We can learn how to respond to misunderstanding. How many times has Penina accused her for years now? Of, of being, you know, some, uh, displeasing to God, so God hasn't given you children. She's gone through all of that. We even saw uh, in the first lesson that, that her husband, Elkanah, rebukes her for, not, for being sad at the feast days and not eating with him. And now here's Eli, the high priest, doing the same thing. You'd think she'd finally just explode, <laughs> you know, and go berserk. No, she handles it all sweetly, gently, and as she should, because these things ought to teach us how to respond rather than drive us in a different way. And secondly, and by the way, um, you know, I, I was reading uh, Paul the other day in, in Timothy where he's talking about the gospel. And then he says in preaching the gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer. I'm trying to bring people the gospel. I'm trying to preach the gospel. And it's because of that that I suffer, suffer as some kind of an evildoer. You know, how can you win in a situation like that? But did Paul respond the right way? I think that he did. Now, she also says in verse 15, in the middle of the verse, I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. You think that I'm drunk, and I, I have not. I have not done it. And I, I thought to myself, isn't this something that she begins already fulfilling her vow? I will give this child to you, and he will not drink wine or strong drink because he'll be a Nazarite, which means that while I carry him, I will not do that either. And yet she's not even pregnant yet, of course. And yet she's saying, I have made this vow before God. I don't do, I'm not doing that kind of thing. I think that's commendable. I got to thinking, you know, in, in our, my generation, uh, in generation gone past, 
and before that, it was very common for Christian people to kind of, I, I wouldn't say make vows, but, but kind of determine, I'm not going to do this questionable thing at all in my life. I'm not going to ever go to those kind of places. I'm just going to rule them out. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to drink any kind of alcoholic beverage. Just not going to do it. I, I decided years ago I'm not going to go to theaters. Now, you know, lots of people do and lots of Christian people do. It's just something that I don't want to do because I have a lifelong boycott against Hollywood, so I'm not going to pay them any money. But I, I'm not going to go. And whatever you do, and other people have different kinds of things. And I, I think generally all of those kinds of things were good things. What's wrong with putting something away in your life and saying, I'm not going to do that? I think we were better off in those days than now when we try to, through liberty and all the rest, trying to justify everything that we do. I think we were better off in those days. I'm just saying that here Hannah is saying, I've made a vow and I'm keeping it. And if you think this is about me, you're wrong because I haven't been doing that. That's the point I'm trying to make. And then not only that, she says at the end of verse 15, I poured out my soul. What I'm doing is pouring out my soul before the Lord. I wonder if somebody watched you pray what it would look like. <laughs> I wonder if, if uh, somebody accidentally saw you praying, uh, would you be pouring out your soul to the Lord? Would it be obvious that you're praying? Would it, would it seem that you were in agony with the Lord as you're trying to pray and, and, uh, and talk with him? I think it ought to be seen that way. Psalm 62, verse 8, David said, Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, he says. And then in Psalm 142, he says, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. That's the way we are to pray. And if somebody saw it, they'd probably, and didn't know what we were doing, they'd probably misunderstand us, wouldn't they, in our prayer time. But this is what she was doing before the Lord. So uh, I say here her proper spirit. But secondly, in verse 16, there's a proper, what I call, denial. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. In other words, she admits drunkenness would be of the devil. <laughs> and if I were drunk, it would be of the devil. Now, I, I should say, the word Belial is a Hebrew word that is not necessarily a proper name. It does mean uh, to be worthless or to be wicked. Don't count me as a wicked person. So that, that's true. And yet, it's also true that... Uh, uh, it is used as a proper name in other places of the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul says, What concord hath Christ with Belial? And he uses this expression. What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Uh, I also... Uh, uh, had read not long ago in our Old Testament reading, 1 Samuel 25, where, where David comes to uh, Nabal and asks him for some provisions, and Nabal says, I'm not going to give you anything. And so David takes his, his mighty men and army, and he's going to come down to Nabal's house, and he's going to wipe them out for refusing to help. So Abigail, his, Nabal's wife, comes to David and says this, let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, her, hus her husband, by the way, 
For as his name is, so is he. Nabal, which means fool. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. Now, when your wife has to admit that about you guys, you, you have some confession to do. You're in trouble. But she called him a man of Belial in the, same, in the same kind of sense. So, in other words, my point here is that she realizes how improper it would be if she really were drunk at the feast day at the door of the tabernacle praying before God. So don't count me like that because... If I were like that, I certainly would be a daughter of Belial. And she could have said, like your sons are. <laughs> of course, that's why he, or he saw her like this. You know, uh, somebody said uh, her eyes were red, but with tears, not with wine. And that's the only way our eyes should be red, uh, is with tears before the Lord. I thought of this story, too. When, when, um, when I was a teenager, I, uh, a fellow that I knew and played ball with in high school was named Stuart, and he dated a girl named Susie, and later they got married. And uh, I had known Susie since kindergarten. We went to kindergarten through 12th grade together, but Stuart I just knew in high school. And one day I invited them to church, and they came to church with me, and this was a big church, thousands of people, a big service and an invitation and so forth. And, and at the invitation, Stuart went forward and got saved, or at least made a profession of faith. Susie would not do it. She said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. So she stayed there. Stuart went forward. Well, I only went back to one of my high school reunions, and that was 20 years. I went back at the 20th high school reunion, and I haven't gone back to another one since. This is always back in Ohio anyway. And uh, I went back to that one and uh, went one, it was at a restaurant where they had this banquet and so forth. And my mother went because she, was, she had been the English teacher of these kids in high school too. So she and I went to this reunion. And there were Stuart and Susie. Stuart was so drunk, his eyes were so red that I'm not sure he even recognized who I was. And here's Susie, whom I had known since kindergarten, looking at me and looking at Stuart, and if I could have put words in her mouth, she would have been saying what? Here's what your born-again experience does for people. Isn't that too bad? And make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus and then live a life like that and have someone who doesn't know the Lord as Savior saying that's what your Christianity does for you. How sad that was. So she says, here's Hannah saying, don't, don't count me as one, a person like that. Don't count me as a, as a daughter of Belial and think that I would do something like that. Well, thirdly, we need to look then at Eli's blessing in the last two verses, seven, uh, 17 and 18. And, and again, I say to Eli's credit, he immediately then sees he's been wrong and he corrects himself and corrects himself before her. And I think that's the proper thing to do when we have been wrong. And so uh, uh, immediately in verse 17, Eli answered and said, Go in peace then, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. I say here first that that's his prerogative to do that. In other words, he is the priest. He is the man of God. He is the one that you go to God through, and a priest of Israel has the ability to bless you 
and to uh, ask God to hear your prayer, and it would be a special thing in somebody's eyes for the priest to say that about your prayers because it would, we, as we say, have added weight to it. In Psalm 20, David is, uh, is speaking about prayer to Israelites, and in Psalm 20 he says, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Because why? He's the only true God. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. In other words, what he's saying here is, if you'll come to God the way God has prescribed, God will hear your prayers. And what was the way it was prescribed in the Old Testament? You bring your offering, you come to the feast days and other days as well, you give your offering, you let the priest do what he's supposed to do, you've done what you're supposed to do, you make those prayers, usually out loud, not silently, and uh, as the priest offers your sacrifice for you, then your prayers will be heard. Aren't you glad we have a high priest that whose, whose sacrifice has, is once and for all, and we can go to him at any moment, but we're going with the same kind of authority. We're going with a greater authority, and that is the Son of God himself at the right hand of the Father is our high priest. And when we pray, he speaks directly to, the, to God the Father. And so what a great advantage we have when, when this happens. And yet here, here she is recognizing that he has that kind of ability, he is that kind of special person, as, as David said, you know, touch not the Lord's anointed. And who is the anointed? The priest, the prophet, the king. Don't touch these kinds of people. And you know what's interesting here also, as he responds in verse 17, is that it's her sweet response to misunderstanding that has turned his anger into blessing. What if, she, what if she had responded a different way? What if she had screamed back at him? What if she had yelled and said, you didn't understand at all, you know, and so forth? He, she may not have gotten this blessing at all. But because she knew how to respond and she was used to responding the proper way, she responded in such a way that it caused the priest to bless her. In other words, you can, you can uh, attract more uh, uh, bees with honey, right? And she did. Now, there's a believing response then as she answers that in verse 18 and said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. In other words, you've said it. I've prayed this prayer. And now you as the priest have said, God grant this woman uh, the prayer. So that's good with me. In other words, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. Thank you. For doing that. So the woman went her way, did eat. Her countenance was no more sad. She believed in prayer and she believed in the priest. That is, she believed in God's way of doing it. That's kind of, I've said before, why we sometimes, without thinking, say we pray in Jesus' name. Not that saying the words has some kind of magic formula, but what we're doing when we say that is we're recognizing 
that when we pray, we're praying through the authority in the name of Jesus Christ before the throne of God. We recognize that as believers when we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. That's kind of what she's doing here in the, uh, you might say, Old Testament sense. Remember, Hebrews says have it to us, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And as Paul said in, in Ephesians, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence before him. Boldness, access with confidence, just like she had here. Matthew Henry made this statement, prayer is the heart's ease to a gracious soul. Prayer is the heart's ease to a gracious soul. I thought of this song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Is it, a, is it a sweet hour of prayer to you when you pray? The only one, William Walford is his name, the only one in our songbook that he wrote. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that draws me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. The sweet hour of prayer. I hope that's what it is. Well, sometimes, folks, uh, we are misunderstood and we must defend ourselves. And the Bible speaks to those kinds of issues too, especially when God's honor is at stake, not so much when our honor is at stake. And then there are times when we don't defend ourselves. And there are times when we let God handle that. Uh, Vengeance is mine. Uh, I will repay, saith the Lord. And wisdom is to know the difference between those two, when we should respond and when we should not, when we need to defend and when we don't need to defend, when we can do it, and we should let God do it. But in all of it, we should be gracious. And we should be as gracious as Hannah was here and as gracious as Eli was when we've, done, when we've misunderstood and made it right. So let's ask the Lord to help us to do those things. Stand with me now, if you will, as we prepare to sing a song. Let's bow our heads and let's go before the Lord and ask him to speak to our hearts about these things. Father, we are grateful, first of all, for the access we have in prayer before you, that through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his eternal intercession for us at your right hand, and through the groanings of your spirit in words that we could not even utter, we can do what we're doing right now, talking to you immediately through our high priest and through your, your ordained means. We thank you for that. And then, Father, uh, we thank you that uh, in times when we have been misunderstood, that you have given us peace and grace to handle that. And then in times when we have misunderstood someone else, that you've allowed us to be big enough, gracious enough to correct ourselves before you and before them. And so, Father, we thank you for your mercies and your grace. And yet, Father, every time we read your word, we're reminded of ways in which we come short and ways in which we fail because our temper 
And our ability to protect ourselves is so great that we often don't respond the right way. Help us to do that. Help us to see your examples that you use in Scripture, like Hannah, in her graciousness and her humble spirit, in her commitments to you. And may we be that kind of person also. And then in examples like Eli that sometimes are good, sometimes are not so good, help us to learn both lessons from that and respond in the way that we should. So, Father, you've spoken to our heart about whatever uh, uh, we need, and I pray you'd help us to humble ourselves before you, and even as we sing or before we sing, we'd make these things right with you. So bless in this time of invitation, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we sing, of course, our invitations open, our altars here. Sometimes we just need to come, pray, and return to our seat. You're welcome to do that. I'm here at the front to help if you need help. So you do what the Lord is leading you to do as John comes and leads us in the song.